Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, thank you, choir, for your ministry, and welcome to uh, Center Street Church, everyone. Those of you who are joining us online, and also those of you here gathered at uh, Central Campus, and those of you who are meeting together at our other campuses uh, in the Northwest, uh, down in South Calgary, uh, up in Airdrie, and down in Bridgeland. We're so glad to be together worshiping our Lord. So where do you turn to when your confidence collapses? When your self-worth takes a beating? When your heart gets broken? God intended the family to be the treatment center for these kind of non-medical emergencies. Of all the people in the world, your family should be the ones who celebrate your godly character, your talents, and your gifts. Of all the people in the world, your family should be the ones who pray for you, who uh, stand by you in times of loss and hardship and uncertainty. Of all the people in the world, your family should be the ones who serve as a refuge to you. That's what God intended the family to be, a gracious, redemptive community where those who know the good, the bad, and the ugly about you still love and accept you, still believe in you, celebrate you, encourage you, and stand with you no matter what. Let me ask you, are you part of a family like that? Do you have a biological or an adoptive family like that? Or a family of close friends like that? Sadly, many people today don't have a family like this. Their family's far from being a place of refuge. Well, this was never part of God's original plan. And consequently, all the way through Scripture, we not only see God trying to bring us back into relationship with Himself, but admonishing us to love and respect one another and giving us wisdom on how we can cultivate healthy relationships. And we see this right here in our study in the book of Colossians as well. In the third chapter, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes a prescription, as it were, for developing healthy relationships, especially for building healthily godly families. And if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, because we're going to be pulling from various segments of it in this message, as we continue our study in this fabulous letter to the Christians at Colossae. First of all, healthy families love and trust the Lord. Paul wrote this letter to Christ's followers. He assumed that those who were reading this letter were people who loved Jesus, people who had put their trust in Jesus, who believed what Jesus taught, People who are committed to following Jesus as their Lord and King. Look at what he writes in verse 1 of chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, since you have embraced Christ as your Lord, 
Realize that Christ is in you and that you are in him and that you have all that you need through him to live a life of victory. And so trust him, not just to um, get you to heaven, but that his way is the way. Believe him about this, that his way is the way to a full, meaningful, and satisfying life. Believe that if you pattern your life after Christ and his word, it will go well with you in this life and in your relationships. You know, folks, it it all starts here. All of us have to decide who we're going to believe and trust in the ultimate things of life. Are we going to trust God or are we going to trust ourselves or the way of our culture? Are we going to do life our way or are we going to do life God's way? You see, the main reason that there's so little harmony in our marriages and our families and other relationships in general is because there is so little humility in our hearts. And it pains us to admit that, but that fundamentally is where the problem is. It's because we're the center of the universe. At least we think so. And we want to do things our way rather than God's way. And this affects relationships. It affects everything. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, harmonious relationships can only exist if we have the same attitude that Jesus did. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He chose. The invisible God chose to become visible. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul writes that Jesus, who's fully God, he put aside his divine attributes and he chose not only to become fully human, to live in humble dependence upon God's enabling grace. Shortly before he died, the attitude of his life was summarized by the prayer that he uttered to his father when he said, not as I will, but as you will. And that is the heart of the matter. Here in Colossians 3, Paul essentially says, if we want healthy relationships, friendships, marriages, families, churches, our attitude needs to be the same as that of Christ. Not my will, but yours be done. We need to give our lives totally to God. We need to submit ourselves completely to his guidance and his instruction. Partial surrender, partial trust will never do. At best, will give us partial results. 
If we want God's kingdom to come to our lives, to our homes, our community, to our world, if we really want to see and experience all that God has for us, then we need to give him all of us. It all starts here. Healthy families love and trust the Lord. Secondly, in healthy families, husbands and wives love and respect one another. Now, as I said last time, when we looked at this in more in depth, before we look at Paul's instructions here in verse 18 and 19, it's important we understand how the culture in Paul's day viewed marriage in the family. Colossae and Ephesus and the entire ancient world, actually, at the time, were greatly influenced by Roman and Greek culture. And in those ancient cultures, a woman had no rights. Children had no rights. She was her husband's possession, to be used and enjoyed as he wished, not to be loved and to be cherished. And here in Colossians 3, Paul essentially says to Christ's followers in his day, not so with you. Verse 3 says, for you died in the spiritual realm, you died. And your new life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, in the eternal realm, you're a new person in Jesus Christ. Christ is in you and you are in him. And he says to, particularly to the husbands of that day, knowing Christ will radically change the way you view marriage and also how you relate to your wife and how she relates to you, the attitude with which she relates to you. Because right now, she's your possession, you're controlling her, and she's probably, her attitude probably isn't that great towards you. But in Christ, all that changes. And as we talked about last time in verses 18 and 19, he essentially says, in healthy families, husbands and wives love and respect one another. You know, church, the best gift that you can give your family is to love and respect your spouse. Because children build their sense of security and identity on the foundation of your love and your commitment to one another. Your children need to see that mom and dad, they have something special going. You have no idea how that blesses them. When they see that you're able to love and respect each other, even through disappointments, through disagreements, through tragedy and failure and loss, they will feel secure. They will feel at peace within because through your example, they will believe that you will love them with the same unconditional love that you're giving to each other and, they, and that you will stick with them and not give up on them because they see you sticking with each other. So parents, lead the way in blessing your family by loving and respecting each other. Thirdly, in healthy families, children obey and honor their parents. Paul writes in verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Over in Ephesians 6, verse 1, we read, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he goes on to say, Honor your father and mother. 
Now, you notice that children are called to obey their parents and to honor their parents. So what's the difference? Well, obeying your parents means to listen to them and do what they say. To honor means to respect them. You see, God ordained the office of parenthood, and he wants us, in obedience to him, to honor the office holder. Romans 13.1 says, There is no authority except that which God has established. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You see, it matters not whether the person holding the office is worthy of honor. Our responsibility is to honor the office. In the same way that we honor a judge, for example, who may have questionable character, but we honor the office anyway. I mean, look carefully at Ephesians 6.1 again. Whom did God command us to honor? Only perfect parents? Only Christian parents? Only parents who are spiritually mature and generous and have never made any mistakes raising us? That's not what I see here. God commands us to honor our parents regardless of their performance or their behavior or their dysfunction. You know why? Because as Christians, we have a different perspective. As Christians, honoring our parents, including step-parents and adoptive and foster parents, demands that we live by faith. That we find our identity in who we are in Christ, in who Jesus says we are, not on who our parents or step-parents say we are, or anybody else for that matter. No, it's based on who Jesus says we are. And that we believe as long as we keep loving and trusting in the Lord, that he will accomplish his good purpose in our lives despite the hurt and the failures of our parents. Now, bit of a caveat coming up. Honoring your parents does not mean you obey them. When they want you to do something illegal or immoral or ungodly, Acts 5.29, the Apostle Peter articulated when there is a clash between man's authority and God's authority, Peter said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And what that means, we're to obey them in those things that are consistent with Christ and his word, the Bible. So how long do we honor our parents? Well, we're to honor them as long as they live. You know, in first century Rome, you had to obey your father's rules and commands until he died. I mean, can you imagine? You're 45 years old, Married with four kids, your dad says to you, I want you to be home at 9.30. I don't want you to buy that. No, you're not going to go on that vacation. 
Well, in that culture, that's exactly how things happened. The question is, are we obligated to obey our parents our entire life the way children were in first century Rome? Well, let me put it this way. If you're 28 years old, 38 years old, 48 years old, and you're still at home with mom and dad, playing video games nine hours a day, dependent on them for shelter, food, and clothing, then you betcha. They have a right to call the shots in your life. Now, unless you're disabled in some way, if you want your parents off your back, you don't want to live by their silly rules anymore. The solution is really quite simple. Move out, get a job, pay for your own bills, and take responsibility for your own life. And so the point here is, is that when you're still at home and dependent upon your parents, you honor your parents by obeying them. To obey means doing what they say and doing what they ask pleasantly, immediately, without complaining. Parents, I, I am so disappointed. I just expected by now you would be jumping out of your seats and clapping and hollering and cheering. Man. <laughs> oh, man. Just work with me a bit. Just work with me a bit. Come on. To obey means that you do what they ask even if you feel they don't deserve your obedience. Remember in Paul's day, children were seen and often treated as property. They were their father's possession, basically, rather than seen as precious gifts from the hand of God. And so, as you can well imagine, they probably had great cause to have a bad attitude. And yet, Paul says here in verse 20, none of that bad attitude anymore because you have a new master and you are a new person in Christ. Obey your parents. Even if you think they don't deserve it, obey them knowing that it pleases your Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. Now as you grow older and become more independent, the parent-child relationship changes or should change as your parents move more into the role of being your mentor and your friend, hopefully. When you move out and take responsibility for your life, you no longer need to obey them. But we are called to continue to honor our parents, which means even if they're belligerent, even if they're hurtful in their comments, difficult to be around, we do all we can to respect them by responding and interacting with them in a Christ-like way. Again, as unto the Lord. It also means that we're open to their advice, to their suggestions that they give us in abundance. We may choose not to take their advice, we don't have to take their advice. 
We may choose not to see things the way they do. We may not embrace their values any longer. But we honor them by graciously receiving their input and not throwing things in their face. Now, you know, you may be incredibly frustrated with your parents. You may have a hard time honoring them, in some cases even forgiving them for the way they treated you, perhaps continue to treat you. In no way am I suggesting that you, that, that you condone these things or take the blame for these things. And then cases where this is extreme enough, you may have to decide to minimize how often you see them just to survive emotionally. And in cases, I had a, a woman talk to me last night. There's cases of extreme abuse where, you know, your safety is hugely at risk. And you may have no choice but to stop seeing them completely. Would hope it would never have to get to that. But might I suggest for those of you who still see your parents who have said things and done things that have been incredibly hurtful, that every time those hurtful memories surface, or your parents, when you are together with them, continue to say and do hurtful things, that in that moment, that you whisper a prayer, and you say something like, Jesus, please forgive them, and help me, help this to stop with me. Help me not, Lord. Please, help me not to pass it on to my kids or to my friends or to anybody else that I'm in relationship with. And so in healthy families, husbands and wives love and respect each other and children obey and honor their parents. And then fourthly, in healthy families, parents love and encourage their children. Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we read, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Paul says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't discourage them and frustrate them and snuff out hope in their life. When I think of exasperating someone, I love the story of a fellow named Bob, not his real name, who not only consistently forgot his wife's birthday, but their wedding anniversary and Valentine's, and they all happened within a few weeks of each other. And of course, this went on year after year. He just kept forgetting, kept forgetting. Well, you know, this particular year, once again, he failed to remember, and this time she just lost it. And she turned to him, and with a level of exasperation and sternness that he'd never seen from her ever before, she said to him, I'm just done with how little you admire me and our relationship. We just don't seem to matter to you at all. 
And so she said, I'm going to give you one opportunity to make it right. Tomorrow morning, I expect to find a gift on our driveway. <laughs> that goes from zero to 200 in less than six seconds. And it better be there. Well, the next morning, Bob got up early and left for work. When his wife got up, the first thing she did was look out the window, and sure enough, there was a box gift-wrapped in the middle of the driveway. It was a small box, but she was still confident it contained what was needed to lead her to her dream gift. And so she put on her robe, and she ran out on the driveway. She grabbed the box, brought it back into the bedroom. She tore it open and found a brand new way scale. Zero to 200 in less than six seconds. Come on. Bob has been missing since Friday. <laughs> but you know, that's just a bit of an example of what I think of what it means to be exasperated. Now, in this, by the way, we know that Paul isn't saying that we shouldn't have any rules, that we shouldn't set any boundaries for our children, that we shouldn't hold our children accountable to abide by the boundaries we set. No, what's being said here, I believe, is don't make it difficult for your children to follow you, to respect you, to please you. He's saying here, don't discourage them by deliberately and continually pushing their buttons to upset them, by insulting them, by comparing them negatively to their brothers and sisters or other people, by neglecting them, by constantly criticizing them and yelling at them, or making them feel that they're never good enough or can never please you. Paul writes, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Put in the positive, he's saying, fathers, parents, because the original word, the, original, the word that's used in the original language there could be parents. Parents, if you want your children to be all that God created them to be, if you want to help them, and make it easier for them to obey you and respect and honor you than love and encourage them. Build an, an atmosphere, an environment of love and encouragement in your home. So how might we love and encourage our children? Well, one way is to help our children to know we love them unconditionally. You know, the Bible teaches that God's love is not based on merit, it's not based on our performance. God's love isn't based on earning his love in any way. It's based on the fact that we are his. We are his by faith in what he's done. And I don't fully understand that and never did until I became a father. You know, for example, before, um, 
our sons came along. I remember gagging just with being within 100 feet of a child with a dirty diaper. But that all changed when our boys came into our lives. Even when one of them had a thermonuclear explosion, you know, that a diaper had no chance of containing. I didn't walk away and threaten to wash my hands of them. No, I lovingly cleaned up the mess. I talked soothingly to them. You know, you must have a tummy ache or something. You're doing okay. And then I washed my hands. <laughs> Dirty diaper or not, my love for them, my commitment to them never changed. And it will never change. Because God's love and acceptance of me never changes. And parents, you know what I'm talking about. You all had one of those moments. You've had one of those moments when you thought to yourself, I never knew that I had the capacity to love a human being as much as I love this little girl or this little boy. But you see, this is unconditional love. And all normal, healthy parents have it. If you're a parent, think of the love that you have for your children, whether biological or adopted, and realize that this is the best human example of God's love for us. Now here's the thing. As our children begin to mature, some parents begin to lose sight of what matters most in their relationship with them. I talk to a lot of young adults and you know, many of them have expressed to me that they often feel on a pretty regular basis that they're disappointing their parents. And when I ask how so, often they will say something like, because I'm not pursuing the things that they think I should be. You see, as our children mature, they watch us. They watch what we're passionate about. They listen to what we say to other people on the phone or in person. We may never tell them directly, this is what matters the most. We may never ever say that to them, but trust me, they pick it up. And they know, ultimately, what is most important to us. And sometimes parents instill in their children expectations that are focused more on trusting in created things than in the creator. And they can pick that up. They can pick up that what matters most to us is to put their hope in money or professional success, or in a good education, or in getting married. And perhaps because of business on our part, as they get older, they begin to sense that our love for them is no longer unconditional. But it's now conditional on their performance. 
Now, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with professional success or making money or, or getting a good education or getting married. But what if our children don't achieve these things? What if they don't get married? What if they don't finish the degree? They, they, academically, they're just not inclined that way. How do they process that knowing what's most important to us? Whether we've told them that or not. And even if they do achieve these things, we need to face the fact that if these are the hopes we've instilled in them, we're setting them up for real disappointment and frustration one day because sooner or later, they're going to realize that all these things are temporary. They won't last. You know, parents, there is nothing greater that we can do for our children than to encourage them to put their hope in God. And to remind them every day that they are loved unconditionally by us and by their Heavenly Father. That we're delighted in them. That we believe in them. That we pray for them. And that we will stand with them in their time of struggle, their time of loss, their time of failure and disappointment. Unconditional love. You know, if you think about it, it's an irrational love. It makes a child feel treasured, not just tolerated. Unconditional love says, I will love you no matter what. I may not like what you do, I may disagree with you, and I'll even tell you so. But through it all, I will never stop loving and accepting you. And Paul says, when we love like that, there's no guarantee, of course, but chances are much higher that our children won't be embittered or exasperated. And let me just say it, parents at this point, who feel like you failed as a parent in some way or in some area, that you can be a perfect parent in every way and you still have no guarantee that your child will follow you and the way of the Lord. And that's because God has given us free will. And as a child reaches adulthood, they're in a position to decide which way they're going to go with their life. And it may be contrary to all that, we've been, all that they've been taught, all that they've seen lived out in the life of their parents. And parents and step-parents and adoptive parents, you have no control over that. Yes, some of you need to sit your children down and you have some apologizing to do. And trust me, that will draw them to you, not away from you. Some of you need to make course correction in the way you're parenting. But if you've done all that you can do, if you're doing all you can do, and your children still end up going in a different direction, you need to let go, and you need to let God do what you can't do. You've got to let go of this, man. And you must not keep carrying a bunch of false guilt. I remind you that Adam and Eve had a perfect father 
They lived in paradise. Adam and Eve didn't have parents to blame. They didn't have mother-in-law to deal with. In-laws to deal with. And they still decide to go their way rather than God's way. So let's not forget that. A further way we can love and encourage our children is to spend time with them. King David neglected his son Absalom. And Absalom was so embittered he tried to kill his own father. You know, John Newton once said, I know that my father loves me, but he does not wish me to see it. How sad. You know, if you think about it, the purpose of life, and in some ways the purpose of parenting, is learning how to love and teaching our children how to love. Learning how to love God, learning how to love each other, and learning how to love our neighbor. We often forget this because our culture doesn't really reward that or focus on that. Our culture rewards accomplishment. And so we tend to focus our lives and our parenting on accomplishing things. Our society rewards appearance, and so we focus on looking good. Our culture rewards power, position, and possessions, and so we give our lives to those things. And as we do, we often begin skimming on relationships particularly those who are nearest and dearest to us. And we take the love that we share with those that we love the most for granted. Because we buy into this lie that all these other things is really what matters more. And we get fooled into believing that these things matter more because we get rewarded for these earthly things more quickly. You know, we get bonuses for good performance. We get promotions. Whereas parenting, I mean, come on, that's a lifelong deal. It takes years before you really know how you're doing, and even then, there's no guarantees. But that is why we need to be in God's Word, and that's why we need to believe God. Galatians 5, 6 says, in the final analysis, in other words, when it's all said and done, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith, it's the vertical dimension, our love of God is faith expressing itself in love, the horizontal dimension. And one of the most impactful ways to love your children and anyone else for that matter is by spending time with them. Studies tell us that the average dad spends 37 seconds a day engaged in meaningful conversation with his children. 37 seconds a day. And the rest of the time goes something like this. So how was your day? Great. How was your lunch? Great. How was school? Great. Did you wear clean underwear? Great. Good night, son. Love you, son. Love you too, dad. We'll see you in the morning. We'll get together then. Did you know that most studies that have been done 
have shown that our kids would choose to have more of their parents' time than the highest standard of living? Children want to be with us. They want us to listen to them. They want us to watch them, cheer for them as they attempt to do new things and develop in new ways. Research shows that when we play with them, not only do they feel wanted and loved, but they develop a healthy self-confidence. And they're far more inclined to obey their parents. And so see it as a litmus test when your kids are going ballistic on you. Chances are high they want more of you. Someone has written, the simple test of love is choosing to put the interests of our loved ones ahead of our own. Unfortunately, we have been too wedded to our own comfort, to our own careers, to our personal fulfillment to do so. The reality is children are old school. All they need is love. And all the love they need is time with us. A third way we can love and encourage our children is to be open and transparent with them. Being open and transparent with your children involves creating an atmosphere in your home where everyone can express their concerns and their issues and their questions and their fears and their insecurities without the fear of ridicule or being shut down. Children will not always be happy. Let's get that straight. When Paul says, you know, don't exasperate your children, he's not saying, you know, don't upset your children because if you ask them to do something, they're going to be upset. You know, you can pretty much count on that. But you know, interestingly, according to a research study conducted at the University of California, children that come from homes that are really permissive have very low self-esteem, generally speaking, and are not very um, successful, if you want to use that term, you know, as students and in the workplace. Struggle a whole lot more with that. And, you know, you can see why that might be. On the other hand, children that come from homes that are quite strict um, are the ones who have a healthier self-esteem and are far more successful. And by the way, when, I, you know, when it talks about being strict here, it's not talking about crazy strict and you know, in, in, insane bound, uh, rules and so forth. And um, the other interesting thing is that kids that come from the homes that are more strict, that actually have some boundaries and some rules and so forth, they're actually okay with that. As long as once the boundaries have been established and the boundaries are clear, there is freedom in the home for them to express themselves, for them to ask questions, to share openly, you know, whatever fears or concerns they may have. Homes where they feel respected and encouraged by their parents. Being open and transparent also involves being open about your challenges as a parent. Parenting is hard, and we all fail on many fronts. And parenting is especially hard for single parents who are doing their best to raise their children alone. I have tremendous admiration for single parents, the courage, the, 
challenge, the courage that they must have and the, and the challenge that they face. And, and just as an aside, you know, if, if you're an unmarried person or if you're married, you don't have children, really consider approaching a, a single mom or a single dad and offer to be, a, you know, an aunt or an uncle to their children. Come alongside them. Be like a big brother or a big sister. You can make an unbelievable difference. And, and I know people that are doing that. Oh, and I just thank the Lord every day that they're doing it. Parenting is tough. And we need God's grace in this role. However, when we are open with our children about the challenges that we face, and we're transparent enough to acknowledge our failures and our fears and to ask them to pray for us or in some cases to forgive us or even with them for them to hear us pray to our Lord asking him for forgiveness over something that we kind of messed up on and our children witnessed it. You know what? They will not only be drawn to us, but when they face failure, they won't feel defeated and they won't want to give up. On the other hand, if they don't see our failures and our struggles, in other words, we don't admit to them, if we always seem put together, that we always seem like we've got an answer for everything, they will conclude that that is the way their life must be too. And when they hit a ditch, chances are high that they will not only become frustrated and exasperated, but they're going to give up trying. And they may go in the opposite direction that we hope they would. You know, it doesn't undermine our authority for our children to know that we're not perfect. I mean, let's face it, they know that about us anyways. <laughs> what they need is a parent who will model for them how to deal with mistakes and failures through confession. And to show them that when we put our trust in God and we seek His help, His power is made perfect through our weakness. And that is why... The greatest encouragement we must give our kids is to put their hope in the Lord. I'll close with this. Many of us here know who Billy Graham is. Uh, who I'm told, I just read an article this last week, is, is now in his late 90s. He's almost 100. And he's still doing quite well in his old age. Well, I guess 20 years or so ago, an unknown author wrote this. At least unknown to me. I don't know who the author was. This is what this person said. Last year, I watched Billy Graham being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on television. Now, her television show isn't on television anymore either. Oprah told him that in her childhood home, she used to watch him preach on a little black and white TV while sitting on the floor. At the time, Oprah's show broadcast to over 20 million people a day. She was always comfortable with famous stars and celebrities, but she seemed in awe of Dr. Graham. 
when they came to the end of the interview, she told the audience, you don't often see this on my show, but we're going to pray. And then she asked Billy to close in prayer. The camera panned the studio, studio audience as they bowed their heads and closed their eyes. And at the end of the prayer, Oprah sang the first line from the song that is Graham's hallmark. Yeah. She sang, Just as I am, without one plea. And she did so with great emotion. And when Billy stood up after the show, instead of hugging her guest as she was accustomed to, she went over and just kind of nestled against him. And Billy wrapped his arm around her. And she stood in his fatherly embrace with a look of sheer contentment. The author went on to write, I once read the book, Nestle, Don't Wrestle, by Corey Ten Boom. The power of nestling was evident on the TV screen that day. The reason? Billy Graham was not the least condemning, distant, or hesitant to embrace a public personality who may not fit the evangelical mode. And the author concluded saying, I'll never be a Billy Graham, the elegant man who draws people to the Lord through a simple one-point message. But I hope to be a person who is real and compassionate and who might draw people to nestle within God's embrace. Now, church, you know, I, I know that Billy Graham is only a man. And I know he's not always been gracious or kind and that he has many regrets. One of the greatest regrets that he has, he said if he had to do it all over again, he wouldn't do more crusades. He wouldn't write more books. He'd spend more time with his kids. And I know all of that because I heard him say it. And yet, despite his weakness and his failures, despite the fact that he was open to mingling with people of ill repute and of questionable theology, he is so deeply admired by believers and unbelievers alike because even though he has never wavered from the truth of God's word or the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has had the God-given wisdom to know that people will never they will never hear the truth or receive it unless they first sense the love and the grace of the author of that truth, our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, church, they are led to the Lord Jesus through us. And so church, whether we're parents or not, this is our mission. To so live our lives and to so love others 
including our loved ones, that they will be drawn to the loving embrace of our Lord Jesus Christ and follow him all the days of their life. My prayer is that all of us as parents, as children, as friends would daily ask the Lord to live his love and grace through us to the glory of God and the sake of a world who needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please stand with me for closing prayer? Let's open our hands to the Lord again and Let's ask him those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what, what is it you want me to do about that? Father, I want to thank you again for the reminder that when we surrender our lives to you, when we embrace you by faith, we're no longer the same. You invade our lives. You begin to transform us from the inside out. We're a new creation. We are a new person. The old is gone, the new has come. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to love as you love us. That you'll help us to love the unlovely. That you'll help us to love our children, our parents, our friends people at work, oh God, that you would give us a supernatural love for them so that through us in some way, they might be drawn to you and know the author of love himself. We pray that it may be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world, Lord, that desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. For we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.